And this is Thanksgiving week, and I'm thankful for so many things. But one of the things that I'm thankful for is that Joel and Marie Holm are in the house today. Great friends of the Bridge Church, great friends of ours personally. I told First Service, I love Joel. He's a great friend to me. He speaks a lot of wisdom and common sense into my life. He also speaks some accountability and tells me when I'm a dummy. Everybody knows you need somebody in your life to tell you you are a dummy from time to time. Joel is that kind of a friend. We love him and Marie. Joel, come on up this morning. Put your hands together. Make a lot of noise for Joel Home. Good morning. Hey, would you do me a favor and stand to your feet for a second? Marie and I are really blessed to be here, and Gary and Ann are such good friends of ours. And I consider it a privilege in this moment to be with you. You know, coming to church is not like going to the movies, and it's not like going to a concert. We gather together, but the Bible says that something supernatural can take place. Can you believe with me that in the next few minutes, the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart and your mind, and maybe this is the first time you've walked into a church God can still speak to your heart and your mind. That will literally change your life. Not because of my earthly words, but because of his goodness and his love for you. Let me pray. Lord, you were here before we got here. And you welcomed us into this place. So we open up our hearts and our minds now. You heard our worship, Lord. Now we listen to you. Speak to us individually distinctly, Lord, that we would be transformed. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I don't know if it's, uh, if you're like me, but oftentimes I find my life gets really busy, kind of cluttered. And every once in a while, God says, Joel, hit the pause button. And he wants to remind me about something. And for these next few minutes, I think, especially as we launch into the holidays with Thanksgiving and Christmas, God wants to remind us about something that sometimes it's easy to forget. And the reminder is in this verse you're going to see on the screens up here. It says this, God our Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Just let that sink into your heart and your mind and your soul for a second. Let me read it again to you. God our Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Not just material, not just natural but in a way that is above and beyond even this earth with every spiritual blessing in Christ. There is nothing that God doesn't want to make available for you. Everything of who he is and how he loves you, he wants to provide for you. And you read a statement like this and you have to draw the conclusion, wow, I must be valuable to God. I must really be valuable to him that he would provide this for me. But it's sometimes in the chaos and busyness of life that we forget our value to God. We don't see and we don't catch. And a lot of times we don't see our value to God because we don't know how we value him. And I've discovered that the way that I value God is the way that I see how he will value me. You know, there's lots of different ways to value things. Society has its way of valuing things. For example, you can value things by a question. What's in it for me? You kind of do a cost-benefit analysis. We do this when we get a job. If I'm going to give you 40 or 50 hours of my life, 
What's in it for me? What will you pay me? And we determine the value of the work by how we're paid. We can do that with when we go shopping. If I'm going to pay for this item, what will I get in return for it to determine the value? Sometimes we do that with relationships. If I'm going to give you part of my life, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? That's one way we can value something. Another way we can value, which is much different, is what does culture say is valuable? So teenagers will spend hundreds of dollars on a pair of shoes, not because they like the shoes, but because culture had said, those are valuable. You need those. Those are worthwhile. And sometimes, if we're not careful, those two ways of valuing things influence us too greatly, and that's how we begin to value God. What's in it for me? Or what does culture, in our case, religion, say is really valuable? And this morning, God wants to give us a little reminder of how we see and value Him, which really determines how we discover how much He values us. And it comes out of a very interesting story that took place to Jesus that we're going to read. It comes from Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen. It's a really interesting story that Mark weaves for us as a reminder to the disciples 2,000 years ago and for us today. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Mark weaves this story with three characters in it. There's Judas, there's the disciples, and then there's this strange lady. And each of them represents a way of seeing the value of Jesus. First, Judas. Judas has the what's in it for me approach. He has heard Jesus talk about his death. He knows that the religious leaders are hunting for Jesus, and Judas knows it's game over. And in his mind, he's going, what's in it for me? What can I get out of this? The chief peace have a problem. Their problem is they want to arrest and kill Jesus, but it's the Passover season, and there are hundreds of thousands of people in the city, and they know if we try to arrest him in public, there may be a riot, but they don't know where Jesus is hiding out. And Judas sees an opportunity. They don't come to Judas. He goes to them in one of the greatest acts of betrayal ever, and you know the story. He goes for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of the very lowest slave that you could purchase. What Judas is saying is Jesus' value to me is equivalent to the price of the very lowest person on this planet. Judas is saying Jesus' value to me, he's worth more dead to me than alive. This is how Judas sees what's in it for me. 
Now, we are not Judas, but sometimes we're tempted to see and define the value of God by this, what's in it for me, where we define our relationship with God by his material blessing in our life. I'll give, but what's in it for me? What will I get back? I'll obey, but then I expect a life that's fairly comfortable and fairly convenient. And we settle in defining God's value by material benefit. Now, here's the challenge. God actually does want to bless you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to be involved in your material life. He just doesn't want you to define his value only by that. Because when you define it only by that, what will take place is when it doesn't seem like it's there, you'll say, doesn't God care for me? Why hasn't he answered this prayer? And you see your value by the same way you see his value. Now go back to this verse. God, our Father, has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And the reminder that God wants to give us this morning is that as much as he cares about our material needs and wants to invade our life in a very natural way, there's something far greater he actually wants to give to us. Something far more glorious that actually defines his value. Never settle for defining the value of God in a material way because then that's how you'll see your own value and you'll question, doesn't God care about me? I learned this lesson Early on, my wife and I were married, we had little kids, and we lived in Chicago, and we had two cars, because everybody in Chicago needs two cars, similar to here. And God came to us, and we felt like God told us that we were supposed to give one of our cars away to a family that needed a car. Now, have you ever had God tell you something where he's wrong, and you have to correct him because he's wrong? <laughs> this was one of those moments for me, because we had two cars, we didn't have much money to buy a replacement car. We didn't have three cars. So I had to kind of correct God. Your math is wrong, God. You need to find a family with three cars. They can give a car away. They're happy. They still have two cars. They're happy. And most importantly, I'm happy. So I was going to correct God with this. But he kept putting it on us. I want you to give a car to this family. And I bought into a little bit of Judas. I remember having a conversation with my wife where I said, I bet you God's going to give us the coolest car ever the moment we give our car away. <laughs> What's in it for me? And I almost missed out on the most amazing spiritual blessing in Christ. The day we gave our car away, we took our kids with us to drop the car off. And I watched my elementary school kids and their face beaming with joy and pride because they were part of a family who would give a car away to another family. I thought about how God, in his goodness and grace, had elevated my faith that I would trust them enough, Marie and I, to give a car away, not knowing where there would be a replacement coming and how that would take place. I watched this family who received the car give glory to God for an answered prayer in their life. And in that moment, I received a spiritual blessing that was so much richer so much deeper, so much more life-transforming than any material blessing could ever define. A month later, God did give us a car. I don't even like to talk about that. Because compared to the spiritual richness of what God did in and through our family, that car pales in comparison. And during that month, if my only value was what's in it for me, I would have wondered, doesn't God care about me? Where's my replacement car? This is 
why Mark puts Judas in. Sometimes in the busyness of life, in the chaos, we don't disregard God. But we begin to value him far too much simply by defining his value translated into material benefit only. And we actually miss out on a greater revelation of who he is. Then there's a second group. That's represented by the disciples. The disciples aren't for a what's in it for me, but they are in what does culture dictate is valuable. And because of it, they miss out on something important. During the Passover season, every Jewish believer was supposed to give a very generous offering to the poor. They see this woman come in, and they see her give up all this value of perfume, and they say, wait a minute, that could have helped us to fulfill the religious rule of giving offerings to the poor. They're looking at what does culture, what does the religious rules dictate for us? They're not thinking about what can we give, they're thinking about their duty. And sometimes that begins to see how we value ourselves before God. We think about the religious duty. We're not in what's in it for me, but there's this duty that overwhelms us, this religious rule. This is what culture dictates is important and valuable. When Marie and I had our little church in Green Bay, Wisconsin, one of the first guys to get saved was named John. He was 23 years old, and he got what I call saved saved. You know, some people get saved, and then some people get saved saved. He got saved saved. He was bouncing off a wall, full of joy and glory. Never been in church, never read his Bible, and then he got saved. A few months after he got saved, we had a time as a church where we did four days of prayer and fasting. Uh, a lot of churches do like 21 days, but I'm not nearly that spiritual, so we did four days. Four days of prayer and fasting. That was it. That was my max. I could do that. We broke our fast with communion on a Sunday. At the end of the service, John came up to me, and I was standing near the front, and I was standing with a couple of guys who had been in church their entire life. And John comes up to me, and he's got this big smile, and he's glowing. He goes, Joel, Joel. I just love the fact that he didn't even call me Pastor Joel. He hadn't even learned that religious rule yet. It was just Joel. It was fantastic. Joel, Joel. I said, John, what's up? He goes, Joel, I did the fast. I've never fasted in my life. I fasted for four days, and I broke fast with communion. He goes, Joel, I feel spiritually alive, and that is no BS. <laughs> now truth be told he actually said the word but I didn't want to upset a few of you in here this morning <laughs> and then one of the guys who was standing next to me who had been born and raised in church first words out of his mouth John you really shouldn't use that kind of language in church and my heart broke because this guy had missed a beautiful moment because of what does religion and the rules say is valuable. He missed this glorious, special moment that this young believer was happening because he had bought into how the disciples say, this is what's valuable, this is what really matters. Where we take the beauty and the awe and the grace and the love of Jesus and we turn it and measure it into religious duty and when we do that, we lose our freedom. Don't ever define yourself and your value that way. Because here's what will happen. When you begin to define yourself that way, when you kind of buy into the disciples, you begin to compare yourself to other people. You begin to compare your religion, your spirituality, to their spirituality. And you try to find a way that you can find somebody who's a little less than you so you feel good about yourself. Then I must be valuable to God. But then the enemy always comes around and points out somebody who's more spiritual than you, and you go, oh. And you lose that. 
This is where the disciples are at. They begin to compare themselves. Peter did that. Remember when he said, Jesus, I won't betray you. Even if everybody else betrays you, I won't betray you. Because what's valuable and what makes me valuable to God is my ability to follow the religious rules. Now here's where the challenge is again. The Bible says here's how you should live. And there are very clear directions for what a Christian lifestyle is like. And God wants us to live a Christian lifestyle. He just doesn't want us to define our value to him by how well we do it and how poorly we do it. Go back to the verse. Our God, our Father, has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Nowhere in there is religion. Nowhere in there is this burden that comes down. So Mark says, listen, let me tell you about Judas, because you may be tempted to put too much emphasis on what's in it for me. What do I get out of this? Let me tell you about the disciples, because you may be tempted to find yourself putting too much emphasis on your value by your ability to follow the religious rules. There's a third way that Jesus wants us to see his value, because only when we see his value this way do we actually discover how valuable we are. Because one of the biggest challenges you face in your walk of faith is not your ability to perform before God, but your thought about whether God really does love me or not. Your identity before God, it comes in the form of this woman who does something outrageous. She comes in and she breaks this perfume. Why does she do this? She sees how valuable she, he is and she has to give some form of worship for one reason, because of the beauty of who Jesus is. Because of his identity, because here he is, she doesn't even fully understand it, but there's something. She's not thinking about what's in it for me. She's sacrificing. She's going to be mocked. She's not thinking about what does religion dictate. She's only thinking about the beauty of Jesus, and it's really hard to measure this. Years ago, my wife and I took our family to the Swiss Alps for a vacation. There was no what's in it for me. I wasn't preaching at churches and making honorariums. There was no cultural dictates that this is really important to do. We went for one reason, the beauty of God's magnificent majesty. And this is what this woman does in Jesus wants to point out to the disciples how important she is. Now, to understand her for us, we have to understand how valuable this perfume is. It was incredibly rare. History teaches that it came from Nepal. So you can only imagine what it would cost to bring it to this part of the world where she would be able to acquire it. And actually, the story tells us that it was worth more than a year's salary. Here's how you can understand its value. Imagine you live in Temecula or Murrieta, and you have a minimum wage job, but you have a family to raise. And on a minimum wage job, you are trying to raise your family. But you are committed. Every year, I'm going to put 5% of my income away. So on a minimum wage job, taking 5% of your income and putting it into savings, which means there are no vacations, there are no holidays. You are scrimping, you are scrounging just to make ends meet so you can feed your kids while you're working on this minimum wage job. But you're faithful and you do it and every year you put 5% away. It would take you 20 years to have one year's salary. 20 years of sacrifice and hard work. This is what this woman did. 20 years she sacrificed to get this and in two minutes it's gone. 
What did she see in Jesus? What beauty did she behold that she would take something so valuable, and it wasn't just material value. The Bible says it was a sealed flask, which meant it was some kind of an heirloom. She would take something so valuable to her, and in two minutes, just give it to him. And everybody is just overwhelmed at this. And Jesus sees a moment to teach his disciples and to teach us a very important lesson because the disciples, they don't get it. Their response is, what a waste. Like my friend in our church, he missed the beauty of that moment with John. The disciples missed the beauty of this moment. And Jesus says, I'm going to teach them something and I want to teach you something so you never miss the beauty of who Jesus is, and in doing so, you understand what your value is. So she, he looks at the disciples and he says this, she did a beautiful thing to me. What she did, what is described here, is not what she could gain from it, not what religion said, but simply beauty in this moment. And he says this in verse 8, she did what she could. Literally translated, she did what she had to. He said, when you see my beauty, you are compelled. You can't help yourself. It's like something takes over and you're so overwhelmed at the beauty of Jesus, you just have to do something. Do you remember when we were in the Swiss Alps on that vacation? A lot of times when you go to the Swiss Alps, the mountains are clouded in by all the clouds, which is how it was for us the first day we got there. And we were staying in this little chalet up in the mountains, and all the clouds were there, and we went to bed that night. And we woke up the next morning. My wife got up really early, and she went out on her balcony. And during the night, the clouds had parted. And my wife saw this huge, beautiful Swiss Alp Jungfrau mountain, and she literally just screamed. She couldn't contain it. She just screamed. I'm in bed. I think she's falling off the balcony. I run out to the balcony half-dressed, and before I can even check on her, I see the mountain. True story, literally out of my mouth. Didn't plan it, didn't mean to do it. I just went, Jesus, Jesus. I was so captivated just by his creation. I had to do something. I had to say something. Jesus says, this woman... She's been so captured by my beauty, she just had to do this. She couldn't stop herself. When was the last time you were so overwhelmed by the beauty of Jesus? You were so blown away by his majesty. You just had to do something. You had to tell somebody. You couldn't help yourself. You just had to open the Bible and look for him. You just needed more of him. You just had to give. Jesus says, when you see me, see my beauty, and it will compel you in a way. This woman, from what we could tell, there's a million things she could be worrying about. None of them distract her from a worship of Jesus she is so captivated by who he is. Sometimes I think, honestly, gang, we get too familiar. At least I do. I just get too normal with it. I come to church on a Sunday morning. Oh, yeah, we've sang that song before. Oh, yeah, this is when they do the sermon. Oh, yeah, this is when they do. And Jesus is saying, guys, no condemnation. But maybe a little reminder. Never lose the awe 
the unbelievable awe that takes your breath away when you're present with Jesus. This is what this woman teaches us. Ephesians 1.3, God our Father has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then Jesus adds to it, whenever the gospel is preached, anywhere in the world, this story needs to be told. And what he's saying is this world is full of ugliness and anger and hatred. And my gospel, what the world needs, is not what are the religious rules. It's not even just, okay, what's in it for me? What the world needs is the beauty of Jesus and their value in his eyes. How did this woman see this beauty? How do we see his beauty so we can recognize our value? It's as if Mark knew we would ask that question, and he puts a clue in this story. When Jesus says this, what she did, she did to prepare for my burial. And Jesus, in teaching the disciples, says, listen, guys, my beauty, what she's seeing, what she's doing, it's all about me on the cross. Now think about this. It's as if Jesus is saying, if you want to discover my beauty and your value, there's one place where you look. You look on the cross. The story right after this story in Mark is a story of the Lord's Supper where he gathers the disciples together. If I'm Jesus and I'm thinking, I want you to remember me for thousands of years, I'm thinking, remember me by my great miracles. I raised the dead. Or remember me by my great teachings. Jesus says, no, I want you to know my beauty in my ugliest moment. Remember me by my cross. Not just for when you get saved, but every day. And he gathers them in the upper room. And he uses these two symbols. Bread and a cup. To show not just his beauty, but more importantly, to show your value. He takes the bread, which in that culture was like a promise when you broke bread with somebody. He says, this, this bread, this, my, my body is for you. He's making a promise. No matter who you are, no matter where you're at, I'm giving you my life. You have my life. That's how valuable you are. It's like the gospel has these two messages. You are far worse than you think you are, but you are far more loved than you think you are. And he does this. I'm giving you my life. When Jesus walked this earth, here's what he would say. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I know the way. He didn't say, hey, come to me and I'll teach you the truth. He said, no, I am the way. And when he said that, people got really angry. And they wanted to kill him. They wanted to reject him. And the Bible says that we made him an enemy. Now, here's where we discover our value. We make him an enemy. Enemies want to conquer, destroy, kill. But God is our enemy. Doesn't want to conquer and destroy and kill. He wants to restore and love and lift you up. I'm a dad and I have kids. If I gave my life for my kids, it would be great, but it would be understandable. Every dad in here would readily give up their life for their children because we're a dad, we're a parent with a child. I have a friend. If I gave my life for my friend, it would be an amazing thing to do, but there's a point of relational connection. If I gave my life for a stranger, you would see me heroically. Wow, Joel gave his life for somebody he didn't even know. He took a bullet for somebody he had no connection with. He's heroic. But an enemy giving his life for an enemy? That's unheard of. 
How valuable must you be to God that when you made him your enemy, he says, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give myself to you. Here's the bread. It's my life. It's for you so that you can live and be restored. And then he takes the cup which symbolized judgment. When we take communion, we take the cup. When Jesus was in the garden with the Father, do you remember what he said? If this cup could pass me by. Because the cup symbolizes the wrath and judgment of God. Now listen carefully. Jesus wants the disciples and us to know that we will never fully know our value until we understand God's judgment and wrath. Because a lot of times people will come to me and they say, why all this judgment and wrath stuff? Can't God just be a God of love? Can't we just all love each other? And I said, think of it this way. Imagine my 13-year-old daughter in junior high school and she's being horrifically bullied. As a dad, I would get really angry. Really, really angry because it's my daughter who's being hurt and bullied. You all may think that bullying is wrong, but you would not carry the same wrath in your heart that I would carry because it's my daughter. So when the Bible says that God has this wrath and judgment, do you know what it is? It's a reflection of his love for us because he sees the evil and harm that's being done to us and like a loving father, he gets really angry about it. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't care what happened to us. He'd just walk away from saying, it doesn't matter to me. But because he loves you so much, because you are so valuable to him, that when he sees the harm being done to each other, there is a judgment, a wrath that rises up inside of him, like a loving father. And then on top of that, we're the ones doing harm to each other. As the father, he says, I'll take it on myself. I'll give my son. So that their power of sin and evil can be broken. I was talking to a lady one time. And she said, Joel, I believe in God. I just don't really believe in Jesus and the cross. I just believe that God's a God of love. I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, how much did it cost your God to love you? And she said, probably nothing. I said, it cost my God everything to love me. Which love do you think carries more weight? Which love shows a greater value? And Mark records this story for us as this amazing reminder. Because in the busyness of life, we don't forget about God. We just sometimes lose that awe of seeing his value simply because of his beauty. And we get too much into, what's in it for me? And when we think that way, we then see our value that way, and we go, he must not care about me. Or we get too much into, what are the religious rules? How do I perform for God? And we feel like we never quite measure up. We're never that worthy of him. Jesus says, listen, gang, no condemnation, but there is a third way. It's in this woman. It's just see once again my beauty, my grace. Be overwhelmed once again with my awe. See it in the cross and in the act that I did. And whenever you get to a place in the next six weeks during this holiday rush where you're wondering if you have any value before God, you know what Jesus would say? Think of the cross. 
Think of the cross and know how valuable you are to me. And it's at that moment we're like this woman where we discover how beautiful he is. We thought it would be really appropriate in response to this teaching and in this moment that we would do what the woman did. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out here. Now, we don't have flasks of perfume to break, but we do have our hands and we have our mouths and most importantly, we have our heart where we can take a moment to worship Jesus just like the woman did in response not to what's in it for me or because of the religious rules, but simply because of his beauty. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to their feet. And for the next few minutes, while Aaron and the team lead us in worship, I'm going to ask you to become like this woman. Learn from her. Maybe you're new to church and you've never lifted your hands in worship, and it seems a little funky to you. I am sure this woman, in breaking a perfume of flask with all these disciples and religious leaders around, felt a little intimidated by that. But it was the beauty of Jesus that compelled her. And if you're like me and you found yourself kind of in this zone where you love God, but it's become a little too normal, he hasn't taken your breath away in his beauty, lean in in these next few minutes. Worship him. And I am confident God, by his spirit, not because of my words, but by his spirit, will remind you and capture you again with his beauty for who he is.